When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Fulhamish is backed for the season by Ladbrokes. Hello and welcome to the Fulhamish podcast. My name is Sammy James. This is your fonte of all knowledge when it comes to Fulham FC. Uh, And they say that all good things come in threes. And that is certainly the case for Fulham at the moment. Three points from three games. Uh, There's been a hat trick of comings and goings today at Motspur Park. And in tonight's podcast, I've got three of the sharpest Fulham minds on the show. Introducing Ben Jarman. Hello, Sammy. Don Betts. Hello, hello. And Dave Preston makes another appearance. How's it going? Very good, thank you. Well, uh, loads to get through in tonight's show. We're going to be chatting about the 0-0 draw against Leeds on Tuesday, which makes it sound more dull than it was. As much as there weren't many goals, there's certainly lots of talking points uh, from the Leeds game. We'll come on to that. Uh, We're going to be giving a preview to the Sheffield Wednesday game this Saturday at Craven Cottage. All the transfer gossip, as I mentioned just a second ago, and answering your questions, of course. So as always, we need to get underway with the three-word reviews. No Jack this week uh, to lend, uh, lend us a hand with the review. So I've got Ben on the case. So what were the best three-word reviews from Tuesday's game against Leeds? Well, I think we'll start with um, Be More Clinical from Charlie uh, Marden, which oh, nice. I think, to be honest, really sums up the game nicely. Uh, both, both, teams, sides. both teams could have scored a hatful when um, no goals went in. Uh, Dirty Dirty Leeds from Marty Ward, um, obviously in reference to Lucas Piazon's challenge. Um, and then Get Well, Get Well Lucas from Armchair Journey. And then James Dalton came in with a very nice one. Um, which it looks like Fuller must have heard, a striker would help. Yes. Um, and obviously we've just signed Rui Fonte. So, James, you have your wish. Slava have his birthday present. It's all good. It's all very good. And we will come on to the dirty tactics uh, of Leeds fans uh, a little bit later. Uh, first of all, before we touch on Tuesday night's game, uh, just to let you know that Fulhamish is backed for the season by the guys at Ladbrokes. At the moment, uh, they're doing a great deal for you guys where you can bet £5 and get £20. That means you deposit just a fiver and Ladbrokes are going to add another £20 to your account. So you have like £25 to, to bet with and that all that costs you. Uh, is a fiver. It's a, de- it's a decent deal from the guys at Labros. You can't knock them that. Uh, so you can get this offer by following the link at bet.fulhamish.co.uk. That's bet.fulhamish.co.uk. Right, so let's discuss what happened in Tuesday's game up at Leeds United. Intriguing game uh, between two sides. I think that are still likely to be at the upper end of the league. Uh, but Ben, it seemed to me like both sides were just lacking a little bit in firepower. There wasn't much quality uh, when both teams got into the box. Yeah, I think um, that's definitely clear for everyone to see, obviously, with the 0-0 scoreline. But I think uh, we have to be a little bit more worried about Fulham this season than we were last because this season I think we are a bit more free-scoring and we looked a bit more dangerous going forward than we certainly have been in the opening three games. It looks a little bit huff and puff and no doors really being blown down whatsoever and there's no no goals being scored so far. Um, We're creating more chances and obviously with the signing of Fonte, I think uh, we'll be more clinical going forward. Yeah, it was just a game of... Both teams not being able to take their chances, really. Yeah. Both teams could have easily scored two or three goals each. But, yeah, there was just no clinical finishing whatsoever during the game. And 
I mean, it, when it was us playing Leeds, I think he had a draw written all over it from about five minutes in. Yeah. Interesting lineup from Slav. Um, he brought in Cisse, Kamara, and Adoy at the expense of Norwood, Aite, and then Callas, who was suspended, obviously. What was Slav thinking, though, do you reckon, Dave, with that starting lineup? Quite surprising to see. Uh, Norwood drops for Cecil. I think that was the one that surprised me most. How about yeah. you? I was a bit surprised to see Norwood not play because he's been such a good um, sort of replacement. Um, but I think with the options that we've got now, someone like Cisse coming in, we haven't had someone with that kind of physical strength in our midfield for quite a while. So it was a bit confusing when I saw the lineup as well. But then as soon as I saw the game go on, it w- even though it was nil-nil, it was one of the only nil-nils I've watched where I've thought, I wish I was at that game, you know, because the midfield battle was just immense. And in terms of the selection, it was a bit confusing at first, but as the game went on, it made so much sense as to why someone like Cissé was in there with the strength. Do you think, Ben, that Slav was trying to give the makeshift defence? Now, I know Dennis Adoy did a brilliant job at centre-back, and we'll come on to that. But do you think he was trying to give that defence a little bit more protection with McDonald and Cissé um, in front of the back four? Because it's not his natural position as well as he played. No, yes, I com- I completely agree. I think he is trying to give some more protection to the back four there. I think Cissé's presence obviously has some sort of defensive solidity to it. Mm. Um, but I feel like him being pushed slightly further up the pitch um, as part of a double pivot, if you were, with, if, if you would allow for that, with McDonald is a good thing because I don't think on his showing against Norwich that he particularly took the responsibility of being that lone pivot in front of the back four particularly well. I think he's a type of player that will enjoy the freedom of having someone else to take responsibility for shielding the back four, although I do think he'd done quite a good job there. Um, I think his, his overall style of play is one that leans on his defensive tendencies a little bit more than his attacking tendencies. And as David says, he has that strength and dynamism. Um, a little bit like a two-who, if you would, um, in front of that back four. He actually came very close to opening the scoring as well. Probably the, came the closest in the game. Uh, smacked the post, a decent effort. Yeah, I was quite surprised when it hit the post. I don't know why. Just, the shot sort of came out of nowhere in a way. It didn't even look like it was going particularly fast, did it? No, when he hit it, I was like, OK, that's probably just going to go about five yards wide. Yeah. And then it hit the post, and he's clearly got a good shot on him. Yeah. Because obviously he scored that cracker in pre-season against QPR, and if you look at any of the what, four or five goals he scored in his career, they've all been from about 20, 30 yards out anyway. Yeah, if he's going to score them, they're not going to be tappings. Exactly. And yeah, but as Ben said, I think him in the double pivot was a lot better than if he was singular uh, playing holding midfield on his own because, yeah, although he, he has got defensive tendencies, I feel like he always wants to go forward. Yeah. And he's one he's just going to sit back and protect the back four. So I think, yeah, playing him was obviously to protect the back four even more, but I think if we're going to play him, it should always be in either a double pivot or just further forward of someone else. If we look at the wider midfield selection, obviously it's one of McDonald's it's, uh, and Cissé and then obviously um, Steph as well. And that's quite a dynamic mm. midfield, midfield three in there. There's a lot of running in there. There's a lot of legs and a lot of combative play. And I, f- I think that's what you're probably going to need against a tough tackling lead side on a, on a Tuesday night away game. Um, as we unfortunately saw there, they tend to stick the boot in quite hard quite often. Well, yeah, that was my next point that I was going to come on to. The, the, the second half got even more fraught than the first and Leeds were playing this very aggressive style. And kind of once again, Dave, we saw a referee performance that allowed the opposition to get away with this style of football and it really isn't a tactic that Fulham tend to deal that well with. Yeah, it was so frustrating to watch again because... 
you you go away from home and you've got the fans and the hostility of the atmosphere. I mean, just watching it on the stream, I could tell the atmosphere was so intense. And then you've got to deal with having to fight against a referee as well. It all comes down to consistency at the end of the day. And I think it was the same away at Reading. Uh, Reading was even worse. It was basically 10 against 12 because the referee. But the, And then on top of that, you've got the fans. You've got the players going in hard, obviously being coached to go in hard for that kind of game to kind of break up our passing play. And then you've got an inconsistent referee. So everything kind of stacks up against you. And that's why I think a nil-nil draw there is actually such a good result. And uh, Jack was fuming uh, on the Twitter yeah. on Tuesday night and <laughs> he took on pretty much the entire Leeds United supporter base uh, on Twitter. Uh, now Piazon's going to be out for an extended period of time with a broken fibula. Obviously really, really devastating news, not just for Fulham, but for Lucas as well, who was really starting to show some real promise. So it's just devastating news on all fronts, Ben. Yeah, I feel like it is. I think... Lucas, is, as we touched upon in the last couple of podcasts, gives us that clinical edge where we talked about it last season when a striker has that coldness. He just doesn't panic. He knows when to put the ball into the net and how to take on a keeper, give him the eyes, find the corners, that sort of thing. And I think Lucas has that and that little bit of flair and a work rate that we really needed to sort of force goals home. And I think he gives us that. And obviously now he is, is obviously going to be out for an extended period of time. We're going to miss it quite a bit. But I think the replacement that we've made here in uh, Ojo is going to be a very, a very good one. He has strength and power and pace as well. But obviously we're all gutted for Lucas. And I think he adds a lot more to this Fulham team than than we imagined that he did last season. He said he's going to be back in, in rehab in, in a couple of weeks. So I guess we can just hope that maybe it's not a too much of a serious break and that it will just be a few months as opposed to a year or something as it can. Yeah, I think some, something that will also take away from him being gone is he's probably going to have his rehabilitation at Chelsea or I, I, I would imagine their parent club would probably want to bring him back, make sure he's getting looked after properly. And I think he's such a good character and a lot of the, the squad really, really enjoy him, you know. So to not have him involved in training every day is a big, big loss. And I imagine Lucas will be pretty upset about that as well because yeah. he probably wanted to get stuck in with the club. And as you say, I hadn't really considered that, that angle that he probably will do quite a lot of the rehab back at, at Chelsea. Dom, uh, the thing that was angering Jack so much uh, about the incident was not actually the tackle uh, on Lucas, which was it, was it was a rough but fair challenge. For, I think it was Shaughnessy, wasn't it, that made the challenge on Piazon. But the reaction of the Leeds fans was... Debatable to say the least, if I'm being diplomatic. Yeah, I mean, they, they were like booing him, but it's like, it's just Leeds. Like, <laughs> they know. I think it was because there's so many times you probably see those tackles and the players faking an injury. He's a South American player, but they're, they're, they're not actually renowned for not like overreacting to challenges. But yeah, I think it was a awful sort of way to react. But then they don't really know what's going on. They can't tell he's got a broken fibula. Yeah, that was the defence of most Leeds fans that were having a little pop at the podcast. Was well, how are we supposed to know uh, they had a broken leg? It's it's still, too, it took two grown men to carry him off. Like he didn't even want to wait for a stretcher. He was like, "Get me off!" And still, people were still booing him. I think you could you can say you didn't know, but I think at the end of the day, I think that most people can tell when someone is faking it and when someone is really injured. And I thought it was fairly obvious. Yeah. Yeah, but oh, it's, yeah. it's just Leeds being Leeds. So. 
And at the end, uh, both sides had chances to win it. Uh, if Luca, if Luca was just that little bit more composed, could have been an incredible victory. Would have been a real, real sweet one. Yeah, it would. But I don't really trust Luca when he's going through on goal. I don't think he's going to score every time he's going through. He's a great player to like open space roles with his runs, set up others, but. Yeah, I just don't trust him going through and go. Hopefully, Shay's Yojo's got a bit more clinical edge about him because now we've missing that with Piazon being out injured. We're going to need our, all our players to be getting goals because being, that's kind of been the issue so far this season is yeah. our players just haven't been clinical enough. Yes, you could argue we got that last season, but we still scored two or three goals in the process where this season it doesn't quite look like that at the moment anyway. One of the annoying things about that Aluko chance was the amount of times I've seen him try and do something extra and it was that one occasion where the keeper committed himself. I felt like he could have knocked it one step past him. The keeper would have been basically out of the goal and he could have mm. slotted it home. But he shot first time. And 90% of the other times, I'm like, shoot, shoot, shoot. And this time, I was like, take it round him. But he shot and it got saved. Um, three draws from three then. It's, 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 it's a hard one to evaluate. We're still unbeaten, so you still feel like that early season momentum is kind of with us. But then again... One victory and two losses could have got the same outcome. But I think considering the quality of opposition that we've had to face, certainly in terms of where they finished last season, it's. I think it's more natural to be a slightly more positive than negative, but it's not quite the blistering start we'd all have hoped for. Well, we would have all hoped from that just, just based on where we finished last season. But if we look at these three fixtures on paper... Two very tough away days to two very, very tough teams. Reading obviously knocked us out of the playoffs last year. They play a very defensive style of football. They use possession well and they slow with it. It's difficult to break them down. Leeds, in any given night, is very hard. To, it's very hard to get a win out of them. They're just a physical, tough, well-oiled team. And Norwich just have that quality to to break you down, and and they showed that with with their um, late goal on in the, in the opening fixture of the season. Three draws against three very tough teams isn't too bad. I think, you know, in, in the grander scheme of things, we could have quite easily lost all three of them. Um, and judging by what we've done last September, I think like this is a solid start. Obviously, we'd like a couple of wins in the next couple of fixtures just to, to boost that points total. But we're through to the next round of the Cup. Three very credible draws once we start firing with AK-47 and Rui Fonte it could look a whole lot different. Yeah, I was going to say one thing you could look at. We're playing the tough teams at the beginning of the season and then once we get into our flow in like the Octobers and Novembers, we're going to be playing maybe the easier size, as you can call them, in the league and that's where we're going to be picking up the three points. Like The next two games don't exactly get any easier. Like Sheffield Wednesday, we know they're a great side. I, don't, I know like they haven't had the greatest start to the season, but, uh, but Ipswich will be a tough game. I know they had a poor season last season, but I think they've won all three of their games this season. Yeah, they have. They have, and they're the champ- uh, two, one of the championship's top scorers in uh, Martin Whitehall. Well, well, let's move on to that Sheffield Wednesday game, which is on Saturday. And it's, it's, it's intriguing because Sheffield Wednesday start, if, if I've said that ours has been underwhelming, there certainly will have been underwhelming. Two points uh, from the three games, and that includes having two home games. And I think, especially when you look at their opposition that they faced, uh, Preston on the opening day, uh, QPR uh, last Saturday, and then last night, Wednesday night, they drew with Sunderland. A brilliant goal from Jones, wasn't it, to uh, equalise for Wednesday. Are they potentially suffering a small post-playoff hangover, do you reckon? 
It's, 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 it must have been pretty even harder for them to take last season than the first season when they lost in the playoffs just because I think there was a lot more expectation last season. Yeah, I'd say they're suffering a small playoff hangover, but then I don't really think it's that bad, like two points of three games. Like I really don't... like This playoff hangover thing really doesn't matter because we can look at it, we were 11 points behind Leeds mm. in March. So I don't really think it matters. I think it's just once teams get in their flow then you can see whether they are suffering an even longer hangover but I think it'll be a good game on um, Saturday between both of us because both of us need a win so I think both teams will be going for the game yeah it's going to be a really good game I think it'll be a really open game and obviously I hope we come away with the three points but yeah I don't understand how they've sort of started so poorly because they do have a they do have goals in them with the amount of strikers they've got in their club at the moment. Well, the firepower is is immense. So they've got Jordan Rhodes, Stephen Fletcher, Gary Hooper and Sam Winnell all on the books, plus Fernando Fiat Forestieri, who's been having a bit of a transfer saga. He's refused to play, hasn't he, in the first three? Yeah, he has. It seems as though there's something quite toxic behind the scenes there. And I was listening to uh, BBC Radio 5 Live on Tuesday night and uh, Forestieri was left out because of a training ground incident. Um so it sounds like something's not quite right behind the scenes there and it can unsettle a, a whole squad if you know your star man's not firing and doesn't want to be there anymore is it also a case of too many cooks spoil the broth it's, it's hard yeah. to have that many strikers mm. and be balanced exactly exactly and uh, Forestieri has done this before in that he's tried to force his way out of the club and then came back again and I don't think Carlos Carvajal has the full backing that, that any manager should normally have um, given his current situation, I, f- I feel like the this, this squad and the players and the, f- and the fans aren't behind Carlos Carvajal as much as they were at this stage last season. I think quite a lot of them were also calling for his head, so it could roll very soon if he doesn't yeah, beat us. Yeah, I think a lot of Wednesday fans are feeling it's kind of getting the same old sort of stale football and obviously they believe they should be getting top two. Yeah. losing why they shouldn't be believing that because then they finished in the playoffs the last two seasons in a row. I mean, we only finished our last season and I'd argue we were the two best teams in the playoffs, really, on paper. Yeah. Mm, but then, definitely. obviously, both of us lost in the semi-finals. Definitely. I think with them having so many strikers as well, with the style of football they play, I think last night they had, unless I read it wrong on Sky, but I'm pretty sure they had about 62% possession against Sunderland. And to have that many strikers and not to be scoring the goals through their strikers, it can be frustrating for fans to watch this passing football, hold the ball, hold the ball, and no one's putting it in the back of the net. And when they've got that quality of striker and not putting it back in yeah. the net, they're like questions being asked because yeah. this is this is perplexing. How can we have such good strikers, so much possession? They had a lot of chances last night, especially in the second half. I think if any team was going to go on and win that uh, yesterday, it was going to be Wednesday. It could be a case then with all the problems that Wednesday are having in this opening start of the season. Whoever gets the first goal could be quite crucial. If Fulham do get themselves in front on Saturday. You could see, you know, the fans maybe getting on the players' backs. I'm talking the Wednesday fans here. So it could be quite important that Fulham get the opening goal. Vice versa, though, an opening goal for them might just give them all the confidence and they suddenly might be a little bit freer. Both games they've had to come back from. They've conceded the first goal in all three games. Yeah, but I think we saw last season, whenever we got an early goal, we never looked like... We were going to con- never going to well, maybe not we would concede, but we looked like we'd always going to go on to win, scoring mm, yeah, another yeah. two or three on top of that. Score first would score at least two. Yeah, so I think if we get an early goal in any game this season, it's a it I'd go back us to win the game hundred percent. So I think yeah, it is about us. I think we need to go out on the attack on the front foot straight away, mm. and just get an early goal to just sort of 
make fans feel a bit more comfortable in the game because the longer it goes on without a goal, Fulham, known Fulham fans, they get, they'll get restless and for them it would make, again, the Wednesday fans on the players' back. So I think, yeah, if we can grab a goal in the first 15-20 on Saturday, I'd back us to win two two or three goals to nil. In um, the game at the Cottage last season, we all were very... Um, it was a very physical yep. approach by Wednesday last season. So uh, Fulham are going to once again have to face up to that style of play. And I think that was the first game we were playing with a false nine, wasn't it? It and was. It, with Aite yeah. in the number nine position. So last season we, was, we were sort of trying something new out and it wasn't quite clicking how it did towards the end of the season. Yeah. But I think it, us against Wednesday is always a good game at Craven Cottage. Yeah, it is. It's a, it's a very tough and very close game between us, regardless of where we are in the league. It's always been one of those that... Because it's hard really to read too much into that game at Hillsborough last season. Because oh yeah, it, it was basically a write-off, wasn't it? It, was, it almost felt like a bit... It, it felt like a pre-season friendly. It did, it? it was weird. Because, <laughs> I mean, both teams were more, were more finding it funny just chanting about Leeds the entire game yeah. than the actual game. Like when Cabano scored, although it was great celebrating, it didn't really feel like a win. Yeah. But every time I think about that game, I was like, what? was the actual score in that game I don't actually remember <laughs> I just remember going going to the loo about 15 minutes after half time and there was still quite a full bar of people having a drink in the concourse because people just like didn't care yeah. uh, at all about the match it was a bit of a strange one as much as it was nice to have a day out in, in Sheffield and uh, see Jack get his flag confiscated by the <laughs> stewards good <laughs> that was out in force by the way on Tuesday night did you see yeah no unfortunately well Yes. Saw the photo in the train station. If you ever see an Irish flag at a Fulham game, it says Collins Gallagher, London Irish Whites. Just just steer well clear. Just light it up with your lighter. <laughs> hang it proud, hang it proud. And it hasn't got its fire safety certificate, so exactly. it'll probably so go straight out of flames anyway. Um, back to your original point, though, about physicality. Yeah. I think we're going to get this more than ever this season. They're going to come out and they're going to stop us regardless whether it's phys- physicality or you know, just sitting back and parking the... The metaphorical bus I think that's the way they're going to be able to do it because when we are 10 men behind the ball it's very very difficult for us to break them down and we've seen that on countless occasions last season but more than ever this season we're seeing that physical approach to us where literally they cannot stop us so it's down to physical contact and with the standard of refereeing and the inconsistency of refereeing that we've touched on and the fact that I think that this this league having a sort of like rough and ready um, sort of reputation sort of plays in the referee's head you know I think they they let more go than they probably should because they feel like it's a championship you know these guys kick lumps over each other anyway so I think that plays against us well we're going to need the firepower to uh, break through in those games this season Uh, and we've got some very exciting new signings uh, that have joined Fulham to date so we'll be looking at that and answering new questions just after this free beer anyone free beer Yeah, I thought you might be interested. Right now, as a special deal for Fulhamish listeners, you can get a free crate with 10 delicious Norwegian craft beers inside and it's delivered straight to your door by the guys at beer52.com. Now, all you've got to do is pay $5.95 postage and packaging and you've got to hurry because there is limited stock. So head to beer52.com and use the promo code FULHAM. So to get that free beer, you just got to go to beer52.com, promo code FULHAM. Welcome back to Fulhamish Podcast then. And today it has been Transfer Central at Motspur Park. Uh, everyone's been very busy. 
as three signings have come in and out today. So first up was Shea Ojo, who was confirmed to sign on loan. Actually, this was yesterday, wasn't it? It was Wednesday, Wednesday it was, afternoon. Yeah. But it's been a busy 24 hours. Uh, he signed on a season-long loan from Liverpool. Uh, and then early this afternoon, Corley Woodrow was confirmed on a season-long loan to Bristol City. And then... Later this afternoon, very excitingly, Rui Fonte, uh, an £8 million, reported £8 million signing from SC Braga. Uh, He's a Portuguese striker, 27 years old, scored 11 in 26 from them last season. So I think we should start with Fonte. It's a decent amount of goals in a side that performed a bit below expectation last season. Yeah, so Braga finished fifth last season in uh, Liga Nos. um, And that, for them... Um, it's once again qualification to the Europa League and they're basically perennial Europa League qualifiers. Um, they they are officially the fourth biggest team uh, in Portugal in terms of um, their average finishing and their um, fan base, obviously after the three, um, well, the two big Lisbon clubs and Porto. They finished fifth last season behind uh, Vitoria uh, Guimarães, um, who had an outstanding season. Um, but Fonte is very much the jewel in, in the um, Braga crown um, with those 11 goals last season. He is their captain. Um, he had a little bit of um, trouble with injury last year, which is why he only made 26 appearances. But um, he averaged um, one in every two in uh, the Portuguese league, which is pretty good for a side that had less shots than uh, a relegated side, as you'll find out in Nick McNee's amazing article on Fulhamish.co.uk or .co.uk for David. Yeah, um, definitely see um, Rui Fonte is um, is a player that can play in a variety of positions because he can play out wide on the wing. He can also play in behind a striker, but he's most comfortable at number nine. He's quite neat. He's quite tidy with his build-up. Um, he's a good linker of play, and he's he can be pretty clinical um, f- um, with his finishing. So I think you've got a really decent player there. Um, and he has some good calibre behind him in terms of the clubs that he's already played for. And obviously, Braga have had some really good um, European exposure um, over the past couple of years when he's been there. And ultimately, um, take this as, as you want, but obviously Braga fans are gutted to see him go, as is the president, and was quite, um, was quite forceful um, in the way that he basically explained how Fonte had moved to Fulham in the fact that he basically said to Braga that I want to go regardless. But they really, really rate him over there and I think he'll do very well for us. There are There is one, on my final point, there's one reporter from the Portuguese league, Tom Cundert, and another one whose at name is Bifana Bifana, who was quite um, vocal in the fact that they are, they're quite dismayed that Fonte has swapped Braga um, and all that they have the potential to become this year for Fulham in the second tier of English football. And it's reported that Fonte is actually being paid four or five times as much over here than he would be paid at a top-level Portuguese club. But also for Fonte, on the flip to those claims that you've just made from those reporters, it's a chance for him. He's taken a little bit of a punt with Fulham, but this is potentially, from his perspective, a chance to play in the Premier League. If no Premier League club wanted him and maybe that's probably why it's taken so long he was probably holding out for a a lower tier Premier League club to come in for him clearly that hasn't worked out so this is an opportunity for him through the back door to play at the top flight next season so that will be a lot of his motivation he has unfinished business in here after his stint at Arsenal and obviously his brother plays for West Ham so they're not far apart now but yeah I think he feels like he's got a point to prove uh, in, in England although obviously it's a championship I feel like 
his stint at Arsenal didn't really amount to much, apart from maybe a couple of League Cup appearances. Yeah, and a lone move to Palace for eleven mm. appearances. Yeah, so I think it, I think it's a good trend all round because we've needed a striker. I think Kamara, although we thought he'd be our main striker signing the summer, when he was given number forty-seven, although to make it AK forty-seven, you always knew or felt like we were going to bring another striker in. Yeah. And I think although Kamara hasn't had the best start to his Fulham career, what he does really well when he when he's playing even up front or on the wing, he's opened up the space other players to run into and it could work with Fonte for him to open up the space for him because he's obviously not as quick as Abu Kamara and you can tell that Rio Fonte is a definitely more intelligent footballer yeah, like, I, I could, you could all kind of compare him to Morata in a way the way yeah. his play style like he's, he's relatively tall he's, he's got a good hold on the ball but he's also a very intelligent technical player Yeah, he's I'd also got a good player. head on him oh very much so uh, very, very similar to Morata as Dom says very good in the air um, I think um, if we look at the wider context, like Fonte isn't 24 or 23, he's 27. We've given him a four-year deal. It's his opportunity to get one last, well, potentially one last quite big payday. And um, also one big... And one big push. Career... Push Premier League. Yeah, like push. I was just going to yeah. say, he, it kind of, though. it reminds me of a way of kind of like a Clint Dempsey late bloomer. If we can get someone, I mean, I'm not going to call him a Clint Dempsey, but no, I see, if he, I see if he comes mean. in and has like this late 20s kind of bloom, that would be really, really impressive. Um, I think that's what he's looking for is to come into a club like Fulham. I mean, what better place to come to in, in South London and then hopefully get promoted with us. Um, something that was quite funny for me today, all day, I was thinking to myself, he looks exactly like Jose Fonte. I honestly didn't know that they like. I thought I honestly thought I got the names mixed up or something, and then I read just now that they're brothers. Oh, I see. Yeah. So, so with with Fonte, I know he's played a couple of Europa League games actually already this season. Played a couple of qualifiers. Do you think he's going to be fit enough to make an appearance on Saturday against Sheffield? In a word, yes. Okay. Uh, he's played four already this season. Uh, two in Liga Nos, two in Europa League qualifying. Scored two goals, got one assist. So I think he's pretty much up and ready. He might mm. might get a cameo at the last bit. Mm. Well, I'd expect him to start because oh, yeah. of, mainly because of the way we played on Tuesday night that we didn't look clinical enough. And Slav might think, well, he's been play- he played four competitive games this season. Yeah. He, sh- he should slot straight into the side and he might pr- provide, and I hope he provides that clinical edge that we've been missing in the last three games. Yeah, Slav isn't the kind of manager to, that's afraid of playing a new signing first game. No, yeah. we all know Slub's balls out, high risk, high reward. So <laughs> I, w- I really wouldn't be surprised if you just whacked him in there straight away. Nice birthday present for Slavisa. It's a bloody great birthday present. Very expensive one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for good. once we bought somebody. We didn't loan him. That was another surprise for me today. We actually bought somebody on decent sort of deals. So. I mean, it's, it seems to be coming together, though, the transfer window. Obviously, we'd still maybe like a, a, a centre-back and a left-back if we could be choosy. I mean, it's not even really choosy. We actually kind of need those <laughs> those positions. But all in all, so far, with about two weeks left to go in the transfer window, in fact, two weeks exactly, yep. we're in a pretty good position. So on, on that, um, there is a pretty hefty rumour coming out that we're, well, it's basically confirmed that we're in talks with Joe Bennett from Cardiff. Mm. He didn't play. Which was discussed on Monday and didn't play this week. Tuesday, did he? Against. No. Nope. Who, who did they play? Reading. No. And there's also reports coming out of France. Hasn't yet gone in L'Equipe, so you don't know whether it's proper or not, but it has been on various media outlets that we're in talks with uh, Montpellier centre back William Remy, who's absolutely massive and uh, is very good in the air. So. Okay. 
and he's he's not he's not he's not like a slow. No, he's not he's, a slow centre back either. Is he's he? got a bit of pace about him. So I mean, we do knee cover there, so it'd be good to bring him in, and it means mm-hmm. Jarlow goes further down the pecking order. Also, we still need Jarlow after the absolute bombardment I got on Twitter. As we said, he was, he was just playing at his own standard, League Two. Oh, well, there you go. And there was also the rumours a couple of days ago about uh, Punje from uh, Bordeaux. Yeah. Uh, old Girondinfo was uh, back on the blower. Uh, after the entire Diego Roland saga. Uh, we actually had a message about uh, Punje from a guy called Pierre Etienne who lives in Paris. Um, and, and he said that uh, Punje is awful and every Bordeaux fan wants him to go. So that's a glowing endorsement uh, from Pierre Etienne in Paris. Didn't uh, JS say that um, Punje was pretty good? <laughs> yeah, JS did say he was quite good. I don't know who to believe. Well, if you can't jump higher than Denis Puyol, uh, then he's not coming in. Dennis Puyoladoy. Oh, oh. <laughs> bloody hell, Dennis Puyol. I was thinking of <laughs> Carlos. <laughs> uh, moving on then. So uh, the other news today was that Corley Woodrow has gone to Bristol City. You threw me that. I was like, they're bloody hell, Dennis Puyol. Um, has gone on a season-long loan to to Bristol. Obviously, he spent uh, the last uh, four or five months of last season at Burton. It's another championship loan move for Corley. A bit of a step up from Burton in terms of calibre. Uh, you'd say Bristol City from Burton. I don't think that's too much of an outlandish claim to make. Based on their put, like finishing places last season, yeah, a couple of places step up. There's a bit more budget for to, yeah, to Bristol yeah, I City. Think so. Nicer football. Um, it might be. Do you think this signals the end for yeah, yeah, Corley? It's the end of his footing career. I mean, it never, it never started, but it is I mean, the end for me. A Bristol City fan asked me at work today what I thought of Corley, and he's been here what six years. He's never really had a good run in the team, but when he has played, he has not exactly impressed me. I don't know about you guys, but I don't particularly like his attitude. Yeah, but he's got, a whole, like he's he's got a whole entire fan base to now block on Twitter, so... <laughs> Just to keep finding new ones. But yeah, I, my mate, Bristol, he's basically sound after me as well earlier, and I was like, you're going down if you have him up front. Yeah, I think they need to rely I mean, on their big signing yeah, this year, not calling. I mean, it is... His, you could argue it's his level, like bottom half championship side. Yeah, I would agree that. Yeah, because he, he was he did, he did quite well at Burton, but I mean I, that's because he found his level finally. If he's get, not really good know, enough for a promotion chasing or Premier League side. Yeah, if we get three, four, uh, five million at a push, I guess bloody big push at that. Um, it might be worth it, and it helps us to you know pay off FFP for Kamara. So. I guess Why if not? you can go there and score lots of goals and then, yeah, get a slightly heftier transfer fee, then it's win-win for everyone involved. And and, and we wish Corley all the best. He is, uh, I think he try. I, I personally think that he has a, I think he has quite a good attitude when he plays. Um, he, he's had bit parts and I think he struggles to get momentum when he comes into the side once every couple of months. And he scored a few good goals for us. I, I do personally, I think it's a shame it hasn't worked out with Corley at Fulham, but I think it's the transfer that... Uh, works best for everyone. And then speaking of loans, we've made our own loan move today for Shea Ojo, 19 years old, on loan from Liverpool for the season. Uh, he's had a couple of small loan spells before, but this is his first big season-long loan and you'd expect it to be um, one that Liverpool fans will be hoping works out well. Uh, what, what do we know about Ojo? Well, Liverpool fans rate quite highly, but then as Wolves fans on Twitter don't, so I don't know if it's like a similar Garbutt situation because the Everton fans rated Garbutt really, really highly. And then that, ter- that turned out not to be the greatest loan move. He just eventually just couldn't get into our side. But I think 
now Piazon's gone out, is out injured for how many months? We don't really know yet. Yeah. I think it's a good player to get in. He's quick, good at dribbling on the ball, but a lot of people said sometimes he tries a bit too much. Yeah, if if Piazon hadn't got injured on uh, Tuesday night, I would have I would have thought to myself like, where is he going to fit in? You know, like we don't need a fast, pacey um, winger slash forward. Um, and then when the, obviously. The news broke after Lucas's injury. It, it was it was great because I think he does bring that pace. Uh, he's got one of those YouTube uh, replay videos with like Euro trash dance music on the top of it. So that always is a good thing. Um, but, fair, every football compilation has awful music on it. That's why yeah. I can't watch them. If yeah. you've if you've made the YouTube compilation with Euro trash, then you're, you're a decent player. But I just hope that he's not one of those players. And I don't think Slav will let him be one of those players. I just hope he's not one of those players that tries to do too much. Uh, and doesn't pass the ball, tries to get past people all the time. But I think someone like Slav doesn't really take that anyway. So he, I think he's the perfect sort of manager to play under for that kind of player. Well, earlier today, I spoke to John Gibbons from the world-famous Anfield Rap, uh, and I started by asking him what we think what he thinks we can expect from Shea. He's a very exciting player. We, we uh, nicked him from Wickham, Wickham Wanderers when he was uh, 14. I think he was um, ever since then because um, we beat off a lot of competition to get him. I think there was there, most of the big clubs, if not all of them in, in England, were, were very interested. He was always already representing England at youth level. And so people were, were keeping an eye on him, really. And just in terms of what, what kind of player he was, he's very quick, he's very direct, he, he looks to attack his confidence on the ball, uh, he's got a difficult style for opponents because 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 he's tall and, and a little bit gangly, I suppose, so I think uh, he, he can get away from opposition, he's got, a, he's got a trick as well, he can shift the ball quickly and shoot, and so in terms of, you know, attacking players, you know, we've we've seen young players come through. He's he's right up there in terms of his ability. He's uh, not played too much in the Liverpool first team. Had a few cup appearances though, and got a nice goal against Exeter in the cup last season. I saw he did. Yeah, that that was a nice goal. Um, he, he scored. That was sort of a year and a half ago now. Yeah, he was. He's been a bit unlucky at Liverpool with in terms of timing of injuries. I think the season before last. Now it is, isn't it? He um, when when Jurgen took over, he. He brought him back from Wolves. He was out on loan at Wolves. He brought him back at, um, at January to, to kind of have him more of a look at him, although his, his loan at, at Wolves kind of hadn't really worked out either. But And then he was he was quickly into the team because we had a bit of an injury crisis. But as you say, he scores that, scores that nice goal in the FA Cup and, and kind of looks, looks a good player. And then was used a little bit towards the end of that season, uh, more in league games actually because by then we were taking the Europa League much more seriously because we got to the final. So he was being used in the Sunday afternoon teams, if you like, and, and doing pretty well again and, and, and looking a good player. Uh, it was a really nice uh, assist to Daniel Sturridge, uh, header at home. I can't remember against two, but, it, but it's worth it's worth kind of looking up that as well. The way he, sta- he, um, he just beats his man with ease and then stands up at a lovely cross to the back post. And so he's... He, he played quite a bit then and then the, the summer after that he, he went away with, with an England team and then he decided to come back early to, to go on the tour and to to, to go away on the America trip and, and we played a couple of really tough games on that we played against AC Milan and Chelsea and, and he was one of the standout players and, and scored again in one of those games and everyone was thinking well this could be a really it could be his breakthrough season he was he just turned 19 at that point and everyone had high hopes for him really and I actually interviewed him that summer and he was talk, talking about you know how he how he wanted to be a, a first team player for Liverpool and then he picked up an injury at that point which was kind of unfortunate really and and 
just just his season last year just just kind of didn't really could recover from it. He, he he'd always seem to get going and get a few games in the twenty threes and then something had happened again. So I think this loan moves a good one for him really in terms of going away playing week in week out. And I think well hopefully I mean that's up to your manager I suppose. <laughs> yeah. But um, but you know he's he's more likely to get his game as any in the championship. And so I think it could be a really good move for him. Yeah, Klopp clearly rates him from what from what I can tell, and he's only had. Really- really kind of bit part loan moves so I guess from a Liverpool fans perspective you'll be really hoping he gets 30-40 games this season really just gets some match practice under his belt so maybe in a year or two when he is looking to get back into the Liverpool team he's kind of a little bit more ready a little bit more experienced yeah definitely I mean the Wigan one he was only 17 so you need to remember he was very young uh, when he went to Wigan and they were in a bit of a relegation dogfight so he, when he went there he actually got mad of the match on his debut even though he only came on as a sub and and, and played very well in that in that game and then they just kind of stopped using him really but as I say he was only 17 and they were in a relegation battle at the time so I wouldn't look too much into that one the slightly worrying one is the Wolves one because that happens the next season um, and he goes there and it starts out pretty well for him and then he just kind of stopped getting picked and there was a bit of suggestion I was chatting to Wolves fans for a, for a similar kind of show as this I guess about what's going on and there was kind of the impression that he felt he was a little bit above it all and, and he, he was you know enthusiastic at first and then he kind of got a bit bored of, of playing for Wolves basically and that's and that's a bit of a concern and, and on but that was two years ago as well and you know he's still only 20 he's just turned 20 so he would have just been kind of 18 then and you'd like to think he's matured a bit also I think maybe he'll see what's happened with Ryan Kent which is that Ryan Kent had two really good loan moves um, and come back and, and, and really impressed in pre-season and, and, and looks to have moved ahead of Ojo now in the pecking order because he's just a more rounder player and more you know, experienced player and, and seems to know a lot more about what he's about so you'd hope with Shea he'd look at that because he's always been seen as this big star and that can be kind of a positive and a negative really and you can and maybe he along uh, certain points along the way he's forgotten about the hard work that, that any kind of footballer has to put in really and the kind of you know the, the, the grounding that he kind of needs to have there was there was he, there was a um, when he was 17 he did like a, a double page spread in the Liverpool Echo which is our local paper of him right. and his girlfriend who, who was 16 at the time and she was I don't know, like a semi-finalist in Miss Teen UK or something. And it was all like, you know, they were all dressed in white and it was all a bit... I think the headline was, is this Liverpool's answer to Posh and Bex or something? You're like, oh, come on, mate. You haven't even played for Liverpool yet, you know? And it was it was a little bit... But I asked a few people about that and apparently it was, it was his girlfriend's mum or something who was like you know, really keen to kind of push her career or something. And oh, he right, wasn't, he, he just kind of went on with, went along with it. And, you know, he was only a kid, but, but kind of stuff like that sends a few alarm bells ringing about kind of his priorities, I guess. But as I say, he's, he's 20 now. And when I spoke to him, he was, he was a, he was a kind of lovely, quiet lad, you know? Um, and so I think you're hoping that he's now is, is this is a really good time, hopefully for this move as well. Well, hopefully, yeah, he'll mature a little bit in this time yeah. at Craven Cottage, working with a manager like Slavisa Yukanovic, I'm sure, uh, will aid that as well. I mean, what a shocker, though, to be wearing white. Does, has he not checked out Liverpool's history in fashion of wearing <laughs> white? I didn't even think about that, man. Yeah, it should be banned, shouldn't it? <laughs> no white should ever be worn by a Liverpool player ever again. Gibbo, thank you so much for your time, and hopefully we can catch up with you later in the season and uh, have a bit of a progress chat.
<laughs> yeah, no worries at all. Let, let me know how you guys going on as well. Okay, well, it's a little bit of a different one tonight because Jack is not here to perform his secretarial duties. Cover has often been Farrell, but he also isn't here. So tonight the secretary baton passes to Mr. Ben Jarman. Uh, so Ben, need some questions, please. What's been uh, what's been coming in on the old post bag? We have um, some really good questions tonight, actually. And we have a couple that have come in from email and we've also had a couple that have come in from Facebook. So obviously you guys make sure that when you do want to ask us the questions that you can do it on both of those channels as well as Twitter and Instagram as well, which is fire and has only over 500 followers now. Well done, Ben. Uh, but, the, but the first uh, question is from Gregor Mitchell mm-hmm. and it is as follows. Given the recent signings of Ojo and Rui Fonte with the potential of Joe Bennett in the pipeline... When will Fulham announce promotion? <laughs> In all seriousness, though, what is a realistic target for this season? I, I think when we did the pre the preview, the championship preview show, uh, I think I said we would finish second. And I feel like, if anything, I'm probably a little bit more doubtful just because I've seen the kind of competition we're up against. Um, but I, I would say they're there or thereabouts, second, third. If we're in the playoff spots, it'll be one of the one of the higher ones. Yeah, I think if all those signings come through, uh, including uh, Bennett and then maybe just another centre-back as cover, although who needs another centre-back as cover when you've got old uh, Dennis Puyol uh, doing bits at the back? So <laughs> I'm getting it on my shirt now. <laughs> I think it's the I think it's the start of a craze, Dennis Puyol. Um, I, I think we're going to be there or thereabouts. I, I still don't believe it's going to be top two. I think it's going to be upper playoffs, uh, which could lead to more heartbreak. But I mm. think that, yeah, I, I th- I'm so happy with that Rui Fonte signing today. I just think that is such a big move from the club. And I think it's a right statement of ambition mm-hmm. as sign someone that of his calibre. Yeah, expectation-wise, it just has to be top six and nothing less. I don't think we've quite got enough for the top two. But then uh, it's only been three games, so I'd, it's hard to really judge. Because we did a lot better last first three games of last season, and I wouldn't have said we would have made it top six. Uh, quite interesting. I was looking at... Quite a lot of people were making a bit about the league table. So I just thought I would do a little bit of research to find out about the league table and, and how it changes so dramatically. Oh, that was it. I think people were saying that Leeds United fans were evaluating the league table quite a lot after after Tuesday's game. So after the Nottingham Forest game last season, which was our final game in September... Now, we'd had quite a bad run yeah, at Barons, this point. Barons, uh, this was the top six. So it was Huddersfield were first. Uh, Huddersfield, and obviously Huddersfield got promoted. Uh, Norwich was second. They finished outside the playoffs. Brighton were third, who obviously did go up. And then four, five, and six. Can you have a guess? Barnsley? No. Preston North End? No. Bristol City? Yeah, Bristol City were in there. QPR? No, QPR were 16th at that point. Yeah, Brentford were there. Fourth position they were after 10 games. And then there's one more side. That's the one I was going to say also starts with a B. So I think, and all three of those sides uh, really flirted with relegation down to League One by the end of last season. So, yeah, yeah, you can't read anything into the league table uh, at this moment. That's just the little point I wanted to make there. Next question. Next question is from Luke. I believe your surname is Salmond, Luke. Um... But your question is, uh, with the recent signing of Ojo, plus a potential left back on the way, um, and Fonte now confirmed, would you move Aluko on with the recent interest from other clubs? A new left back will allow Cesc to move up to his natural position on the wing, 
Plus, we will have Cabano, Aite, Ojo, and Piazza when he returns from injury to all contend for similar positions. I wouldn't be against the idea of Aluko leaving. I do like I do like him as a player, but I don't think it's like we'd miss him massively if he was to leave. Uh, he, he, something's clearly happening in his head at the moment. No one really knows what's going on. So, although I'd love him to stay, and he's he was one of our best players last season, him lacking the clinical edge he does, and we basically brought in. Shea Ojo, who's another quick winger, so and once Piers on comes back, but yeah, I'd obviously rather keep him, but I wouldn't be totally angry or against the idea if we sold him. He he ruined that bloke's career on Twitter, <laughs> ruined his Big relationship. Time. Big time ruined. <laughs> if you haven't seen the uh, interaction that he had with this random fan uh, about his his fan and his girlfriend on Twitter, check it out uh, at Fulhamish on Twitter and Facebook. Uh, we've taken some screenshots. It's absolutely brutal from Sonny Luco. Yeah, I think with Luco, I think it's. I would definitely want to see him for another season with a striker who's going to be putting the ball in the back of the net. And maybe Fonte is the person to do that. I, if at the end of the season he kind of doesn't score as many goals or is involved as many goals, then maybe it'll be time to move on. But I just think with we haven't seen him play with an out-and-out sort of goal scorer yet. Because uh, I think he does provide so much value in the build-up, uh, getting past players, getting it in. And I understand what he's saying there about pushing Cess up because I do think that Cess is w- almost wasted at left back and he's very vulnerable in defence. But I just I feel there's still a place for a Luco in our squad, definitely. I think um, it's clear what we're trying to do. I think last season we were definitely um, curtailed somewhat in the playoffs by a lack of depth um, because the tank was empty for the majority of the players. And I think this season... It's clear that we're going for promotion. It's also clear that we're trying to buff out our squad so that if there are any injuries, then there are people that can come in and replace them and be at the adequate level as well. That's why I would be against um, selling Aluko at this point. It's quite clear, though, that he's very... Well, it feels like he's quite um, confused in his own head and quite disgruntled by some of his tweets the other day and from what we've seen from the media. But, of course, with the uh, revolution of fake news, you can never know what's actually happening behind the scenes. Um, that being said, Aluko is 29 right now. 27? Um, no, he's 29. Oh, is he 20? Hang on. Are you sure? Yeah, he's older. Oh, you're typing Aluko and his sister actually comes up first. 28. Bang in the middle. Oh, he's 28. There we go. We're both wrong. Okay. <laughs> well, he's 28 this year, and I think he's got a year left in his contract, right? Yeah. So we could make some money off of him. If not, just give him an extension, and then if he wants to go in the summer, let him go and get more money for him. It's a surprising thing. Whenever I speak to an opposition fan about a Fulham game that they've watched, they always comment on Aluko. He's the one every mm. single time they go, oh, that bloody Aluko. catches the eye. And yeah. He doesn't do he's a hell of a lot else because he's a, he's a flair player. But it's always the players like McDonald who are so integral to a system that no one talks about because they don't notice what they do until it's too late or until he's gone of a better phrase yeah yeah any more questions in yeah. the post bag yeah we have one final one from uh, rick cardis and this comes from facebook and uh, rick is an american fan actually um who occasionally according to his messages bumps into brian mcbride in the streets um so yeah get him, in, get, him in, get him in touch um anyway his question is listening to the recent podcast you debated whether uh whether which midfielder is the most expendable and a consensus was Tom Kearney. There's also been discussions about Ryan Sessegnon's needed improvement as a defender and the desire to bring in a left-back as cover. If these players are not essential to the cause, why not sell them and bring in upwards of £40 million? I realise Ryan's value will continue to rise. I also realise both players 
are great and important to the club, but that that's where the question tails off, but I'll finish it. But in the long-term stability and progress of the club, would it be worth us selling them now? I think the point we tried to make, I think it was Monday's podcast he was referring to, was that we said... If between K Mac, Johansson and Kearney, if one had to be dropped, which one would you drop? And I think was it me and you, Don? I, both... I, I said Kearney just because yeah, I said Kearney as well. Yes, he's the best technically gifted player, but the other two are more critical to the system with just being absolute workhorses. So I wouldn't want on Kearney to go. Just but the question was out of which three would I drop? If I had to drop one of them and it would have been Kearney. But as we saw last season, Kearney getting double figures in goals and assists. It's not exactly easy to replace players like that now and you and you saw as well on both Tuesday and Saturday without Kearney and also against Norwich without Kearney at, at full fitness we really miss that creativity in the 10 and Piazon's done a little bit of a job coming there but now with his injury we now don't really have a recognized 10 I know some other players can fit in that role so I, I don't think we were saying he was expendable I think we were saying he was the least critical to the system, as Dom implied. Assessing on those, another question. Yeah, yeah, I think I say if we ha- don't get promoted this season, I would, I would think, I would, I think we would sell Kenny next summer because he's getting into his late twenties now, and he clearly Premier League level. If you look at some of the players that play in the Premier League, i.e. Yeah. Robert Snodgrass. Yeah, like. <laughs> um, Great, yeah. On, great on fantasy though, Robert Snodgrass. <laughs> yeah, I'd say if we haven't got promoted, I wouldn't. I probably think we would actually sell one, maybe both of them next next summer. But I think us going for promotion, they want to do it with Fulham. He seems to be both very happy at the club. Sessegnon seems got a good head on him. Like He knows that he, this is his level. And if he got to the 25, 30 million transfer to Spurs, he'd probably just be loaned out to a championship side anyway. Yeah, one thing I did notice with Kenny missing in the last games is... He actually brings out um, sort of better qualities in people like Steph Johansson because then Johansson is, isn't so focused on like getting in perfect balls every time because he knows that there's someone next to him that can do the exact same thing. And something that I noticed, particularly on Tuesday night, is that with Cissé and um, McDonald in the, in the midfield three with him, as soon as he gets the ball, he almost feels this pressure of, I have to find a good ball because Cissé is breaking it down and McDonald is more often than not giving it to me or giving it back to the defenders. So it was almost like this weight on Steph Joe to be that creative one of the three. And uh, I almost feel like when Kenny's out, Steph Joe dips in terms of his performance. Cool. Well, is that uh, it for the post bag today? Yeah, that's it for the post bag today. Three um, really good questions, actually. Uh, only, some very good free word reviews as well. Only tweet I did want to quickly mention before the end of the pod was from Luke Resch just before we went on air. And he said, uh, after the Cissé slash Mamma Mia chant, I'm fully expecting a glorious Rui Fonte Ruby Kaiser Chiefs. Rui, oh, Rui, 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 Rui. Yeah, I think we've, we've really worked out a verse. I just can't remember what it is. I mean, Brilliant. but it's a bit. I mean, the whole verse for Fulham fans to remember. That's going to be quite complicated, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, we've only just about got "Can't Take Miles Off of You" nailed down. Just about, yeah. Yeah, and I'm going to be referring to him as Jose all season. Yeah, Jose Fonte. Mm. 
Uh, right, well, that is it for another podcast this week. Thank you for listening. Bit of a midweek uh, special. We're going to try and do midweek podcasts uh, when there's been a midweek game. Uh, not maybe probably not cup games so I wouldn't expect one after the Bristol Rovers game but certainly if there is a league game on a Tuesday night we're always going to try and do uh, a Thursday podcast as we always felt that if we did Monday podcasts after uh, two games it was almost just like too much for us to talk about so we're going to keep trying as long as we can get bodies in the studio that is always uh, our problem a couple of little things uh, to let you know about first of all uh, is this man's newsletter David Preston mm-hmm. uh, that is going out on Tuesday morning so you can get all your Fulhamish news uh, the best bits from the website and the podcast uh, in a beautifully arranged email Stop I've got it. to say it is, it. it is stunningly done uh, from Dave uh, if you want to sign up for the email you just go to fulhamish.co.uk don't you Dave yep .co.uk or .co.uk whichever you prefer type in your email uh, and uh, as I promised on a podcast a couple of weeks ago we won't sell you details also if you're not in the Fulhamish Fantasy Football League then what you're playing at we've already got like over 300 people in the Fantasy League this this year Ben Jarman is doing very well he's in the top five premature celebration though Huh? premature celebration you were on top of the league and then as soon as after the Sunday night yeah. games you dropped down a bit that's true but I am normally People say to me, you should play Fantasy League, and I always screw it up. And this year, I've had an absolute stormer. Also, I mean, who captains Jamie Vardy? I didn't mean to. It was a fluke. <laughs> uh, also, on your, really on your two points of um, homework for the listeners, I have a third. Please give us a follow on Instagram. I know I plug it every week, but we are producing some really good stuff on there. We're over 500 followers now, and that's where we break all, all the stuff about transfers. This is where we do incredible stories, nice imagery, you know, that sort of stuff. I wonder who makes those. Uh, Don Betts. Yeah, definitely me. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Ben, well, you've had a big day of secretarial duties. Your final one today is to name the podcast. What are we going to go for? I'm going to go for the Fonte of all knowledge. Okay, taking it back from my quote at the beginning of the show. Yeah. Not Dennis Puyol? I'd love it to be Dennis Puyol. But I'm going to go for the oh, that's quote. The sh- that's quote of the show for me. Dennis Poyle's going to be in the description. Brilliant. Yes. I just I, I, I absolutely perplexed me when that came out. But I was stumped. I didn't know what to say. <laughs> You've seen him jump. He's got the same hair and everything. All right. Well, thank you very much for listening to tonight's podcast. We will be back on Monday uh, and we will see you then. So to Ben Jarman, thank you very much. Thank you very much, Samuel Picardo. Don Betts, thank you very much. All right. And Dave Preston, thank you very much. Nami Gyabonga. What? Is that goodbye in South Africa? It's like thank you as well. Fair enough. We'll see you next week. Bye.